my dad had a big dream to come to the U.S. And first time I came to the U.S., I thought like I was an alien because we were in Staten Island and there wasn't really that many Koreans around and the food was different. So I always felt like, oh, I took a spaceship and I came to the U.S. <laughs> and new surroundings. My name is Jean Kirtley and I'm a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. On today's episode, we're talking to Jian Kim Kirtley. Jian is, how do I describe it? She's shorter than me, and (laughs) she can drink more than me. (laughs) No, Jian is. It's hard to describe what she does. She's gone from being a super rad engineer working on aircraft engines for this amazingly big company you've heard of to studying policy at MIT and entering the world of marketing and biz dev. And she's got really weird, interesting tastes in music, books, and film like me. She was my wife's old roommate. (laughs) I'll just call it out. Um, (laughs) And she's just one of the most fun, interesting people I know. Was she in your wedding? Yeah, she was. Look at that. So she's been there since the beginning. We were, and, we were, we were, and we were in hers, yeah. And, you know, Sharon, I'm, I'm curious. So Jian married a non-Asian person. She's Korean. Yep. And she has two little boys. Mm-hmm. And you married a non-Asian, a non-Asian person. person. And I have and, two little boys. Yeah, what's that like? Because <laughs> I have a little girl and it's crazy. But, man, crazy. boys are worse. And two yeah. boys? Yeah. I can't even. It's funny that you're a man and you're saying it's worse. I grew up, so I have a sister and a brother. My sister and I are about two and a half years apart. So growing up with her, growing up, we were really, really close. My brother and I are nine years apart. So by the time I was like a person, he had arrived and I didn't really have much of a a childhood with him per se. So growing up without having boy energy around me was sort of like the norm. So I assumed having two boys would be totally easy. Like... My sister and I never really fought. We'd maybe argue, but we never physically got into anything um, with each other. And we were pretty, and she was more of a tomboy than I was. So like my sister would play with cars and I'd play with dolls and we're sort of very traditional in that way. My little boys will climb on things. They will wrestle each other for no reason. They will find ways to compete with each other, physically compete with each other that are so foreign to me. Being a woman, my brain doesn't work that way. We'll be walking down the street and they'll just see something and decide they have to just climb on that bench. It's just like a intuitive thing. And the fact that there are two of them. I don't think, you know, I don't think that's a boy girl thing. I think that's kids be crazy. And Sharon, you (laughs) sometimes are, you're, I, I think, I think you're a more fun loving person than I am, but I do think like one of the reasons we get along, you're an old soul. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so even little Sharon, boy or girl, would not have climbed on that bench. That's true. That's very true. But I mean, 
I do find, or you know what, maybe it's just like a Tony thing because like when my husband's with them, he'll be the first one to climb the bench. Like he'll, he'll see that bench <laughs> first and he'll find a way to scale that bench, you know? So you're right. But I, I, I just always assume that it's because they're two boys and they've just got all this boy energy about them. Nice. Yeah. And what was it like? We've touched on it a couple of times, but what was it like bringing home a non-Chinese guy? Because that's, that's what Gian did. Yeah. Well, you guys have heard it a lot of times, right? So in the beginning, it wasn't great. I think my parents expected me to marry someone who was Chinese. And for the most part, I was down that track. Most of the guys that I had brought home were Chinese or of Asian descent. So pretty close to that. And bringing home my husband for the first time was a big, it was a pretty big deal and pretty unexpected and caused some tension between my mom and I more than my dad and I. And it wasn't, you know, it's like, she never said anything. Like it wasn't anything about the fact that he was black or the fact that he was like, it's, it's interesting. It's like, it was never overtly stated. So it wasn't, you know, like she, she didn't express her disapproval because of the race thing. It was almost, it was just a disapproval because it wasn't, it didn't match her vision of the person I was going to marry. If that makes sense. But isn't that, isn't that what kids do? That's the point of kids. Like, I, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm so, I'm starting to realize it now. Like, sure, these little people are little versions of us. Right. But they're their own people. And they are. the minute you start to realize, like, she doesn't want to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't necessarily think Batman's the most awesome. You know, she likes right. whatever. Wonder, like, I, ah, Wonder Woman. I'm not a Wonder Woman fan. Why she can't be in a Batgirl? You know, like, yeah. But like, and I think, yeah, I, I just think that's that's the role of kids to like really sh- you you've built a life and you think you know what you want and a kid's gonna come turn that upside down. Yeah, it's very true. And your little girl is amazing in that I think, like I don't know your wife that well, but she's like your daughter is super sassy. And I can see a lot of rum in, in her, you know. She's a, she's a mini version of me. We're so, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. And so I think that's part of the expectation too, because like you feel like you've created somebody, like literally like, you know, came out of my body. Like I made, this, yeah. I made this person and I've imparted all of my wisdom onto you. And you're supposed to now do the thing. You're supposed to live the life that, that I would have lived if I were you thing. So yeah. Yeah, that's not healthy. No. <laughs> I'm working on that. <laughs> well, uh, get ready to listen to some of the stuff we worked through with our friend Gian. Gian, thanks for joining the podcast. Hi. Glad to <laughs> be <you>? here. <laughs> <laughs> After all of the technical troubles exactly. we had. <laughs> well, Gian, I'm meeting you for the first time. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So I work for a pretty big corporate, well, I guess conglomerate doing business development, an engineer by trade, but do have a policy background as well. So just where technology and policy meet. So you are an Asian engineer. I am. Innovative. (laughs) (laughs) And original. (laughs) I like to blend in my surroundings. (laughs) And then when you went to go get your policy degree, Fun fact, you went to MIT, you know, because that's where people go Mm. learn policy. Yes. Right. (laughs) All the Asians anyway, that's where we go, right? (laughs) Well, so Gian, can you tell me what's an early story of your childhood? Just anything that, I don't know, it didn't have to shape you, just something about you growing up. So I guess 
To give you a little bit of background, I was born in South Korea and lived there for about until six months as a baby. And then my parents decided to move to Barcelona, Spain. So lived there for about eight years. And then we came to actually Staten Island. After that, my dad had a big dream to come to the U.S. And first time I came to the U.S., I thought like I was an alien because we were in Staten Island and there wasn't really that many... Koreans around and it was the food was different. So I always felt like I was like, oh, I took a spaceship and I came to the US <laughs> and brand new surroundings. And my parents took me to an English school and private school in Spain, but it's never it's not exactly well, can, can we back up for a second? How do yeah. Korean parents decide to go to Spain? And yeah. So, and by the way, Barcelona has the best food and chocolate and just everything. So you grew up in a really great place. Yeah, it's really, it's really great. And you went to Staten Island. Right, <laughs> of all places. After. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta start somewhere. <laughs> so I found out later that the reason my parents ended up in Staten Island is because their first attempt to the U.S. was denied. Their visa got denied. So my dad had some connections in Spain through because my my dad had is a taekwondo instructor, and so had some connections in Spain and thought it might be like a landing spot until make an easier path to the U.S. So that's how we ended up. I think it was very a fluke, like oh I know somebody in Spain, let's go there, and <laughs> so that's how it ended up. <laughs> but yeah. And then you said that you came off the spaceship and the food was foreign. What's the first food you remember when you came over? Well, because I think I grew up when we were in Spain, we didn't really eat a lot of cereal. And I remember we were at one of my dad's friend's house. And one of the first memories was having frosted mini weeds and putting fruit on it, which was a foreign concept for me. <laughs> it was just very strange. But I mean, it was a quickly, it quickly adopted. It's obviously but yeah, it was it was an interesting it was different concept just coming to a place that yeah, a new place. No cereals, place, so. cereal is definitely a very sugary cereals is definitely a very American thing. Mm -hmm. Oh I yeah, mean, like frosted flake, anything frosted. So yeah, frosted mini wheats or frosted flakes or Fruit Loops. That's all so American. Yeah, yeah, when we go visit my grandpa in England when I was a kid, we ate a lot of cereal in the states, and he'd make us eat Weetabix. And it's oh. like it's it's frosted Ugh. mini wheats. If frosted mini wheats didn't have the frosted part, but in it were like ten times bigger, so there's just this giant thing of wheat. <laughs> I remember trying wheat a big fix for the first time, and I was like, "What is this crap?" Like, your mom. What do your kids have a favorite cereal? Well, so my go-to is Honey Nut Cheerios, but. When we do ghost grocery, they always look at like, hey, can we have Fruit Loops sometimes? So I think once in a while, just buy one of those single serving things and be like, oh, here's a treat. You can have Fruit Loops for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Not the chocolate frosted sugar. No, uh, no. no. exactly. Right. So do you remember back in Staten Island where you were surrounded by Martians and aliens of a different culture, how your life was different from your friends? And did you ever feel like you had to do anything to fit in with everybody else? Honestly, because we moved to Seattle when I was a baby. So, and then moved to the States when I was eight. So I feel like a lot of these large moves, it's been a pretty seamless transition for me just because when you're younger, I feel like you pick things up and adapt to surroundings much faster than if you came to a country when you were maybe in your teens or even nine or 10, when you've established 
your identity and your surroundings of who you are, who you belong with. So I feel like I never really quite felt like I didn't belong when I was in Spain. Weirdly enough, I think we had a parents had a good community of people uh, that I never felt like I was singled out. Were there a lot of Korean people in Spain? Was there like a Korean enclave or? Not, not necessarily. I mean, my parents had family friends who were Korean and had their own schools there. But I think either way, I was completely oblivious to it, but it never really was, I felt like a foreigner there. Of course, when I look back at my pictures, I'm like, well, clearly I stick out. But <laughs> at the time, it didn't, it didn't appear that way. So yeah. walk, walk me through the journey from Staten Island, which is also a foreign country, to New Jersey, which is also a foreign country. <laughs> yeah. The Staten Island piece was also a landing spot. My dad was trying to get his feet on the ground and had worked for one, another instructor who owned several school, taekwondo schools in Staten Island. And after that point, when he got enough financial confidence to build a new own school, he decided to move to Jersey, said, oh, the schools are good. And right around... And before I started seventh grade, my dad opened up a school and we moved to New Jersey, Edison, New Jersey. And so it's weird because when people ask me where I'm from, I just automatically say I'm from New Jersey just because I don't know. There's something about I think I've heard people say those quintessential years of the music and the movies that you watch during those period of time, it always sticks with you, molds who you are. So I always feel like I the sense of who you become was in that time period. But you say New Jersey still because you're in Cincinnati. You don't say Cincinnati when people say where you're from? Well, yeah, I guess locally I do say Cincinnati because, oh, that's where I live right now. But sometimes people ask me, oh, where, even in, when you meet me, where is it? You introduce yourself. I'm a transplant, even though it's been so many years from New Jersey. Yeah. And you were in New Jersey when you were in seventh grade, you said? Yeah. Okay. And when did you yeah. move out to Cincinnati? I moved out to Cincinnati in 2004. So it's been a long time, longer, long time flies. How do you think you're different today from the kid that you were in New Jersey? How am I different? Probably a little bit more cynical. <laughs> <laughs> You've always been cynical. <laughs> Does that mean you were a nice kid? <laughs> were you optimistic as a child? <laughs> There's always a sense of when you're younger, a bit more open-minded and willing to accept things. And but I, I don't know. I I guess it's just age that you start becoming a little bit more cynical. But I still think I'm a little optimist at heart. But yeah, I think I'm a little bit more cynical than I was when I was in my <laughs> teens. <laughs> to, I think I, uh, a lot of my life has been taking things as I go and adapting to new surroundings. And, yeah. Well, you've definitely older. you've yeah. definitely moved from a lot of places. I mean, three or four, right? Just in your childhood. So yeah. So I think so. that does require a lot of adaptability and mm -hmm. flexibility, and sort of being able to transition environments and different groups of friends. Mm -hmm. So I kind of made a joke about you being an Asian engineer, but then <laughs> you did end up working in that field. And so, what did your parents want you to be? Honestly, my parents are pretty hands off. So my dad is a Taekwondo instructor and I think he, that's what he focused pretty much his whole life on and ended up making a living off of that. And my mom was primarily a homemaker slash second support system. But since my parents were not in the academia field in any way, they were very hands off. Like you focus on study, you focus, but in terms of 
what fields you should go to and things like that. They didn't really give me much guidance, but I know my dad was saying when I was, oh, I think I'll do engineering because I'm good at math and science. And he's like, engineers are very depressed. Maybe you should look at a different field. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah, My parents didn't really give me much guidance because I think they didn't know what to provide any guidance for. So there wasn't a whole lot of expectation on that side. That's good from that perspective of having the freedom to choose who you wanted to be and where you wanted to end up. I'd say freedom, but I don't know. I felt like because there was no foundation, it was hard to really figure out what to do. I remember listening to part of this podcast and they were talking about immigrants and how they don't have the tools they lack some of those more social skills in college in terms of, oh, taking advantage of some of the resources like office hours and when to ask for help. And I feel like I fell in that trap too when I was in college. You're so used to just buckling down and studying that yeah. you miss some of the resources and you don't know how to approach that late. So Right. But so most of my friends whose parents run like a small business, whether it's a hardware store in rural Alabama or a taekwondo studio in Jersey, they want the kids to go take over the family business. And that there wasn't that. It was just, this is the thing we're doing to make money. You go be you. Yeah. So that was six. I don't think my dad ever gave me that expectation that he wanted me to take over the school. Like I think he knew pretty early that I was not physically coordinated <laughs> to carry on. <laughs> wait, so did, did you, you have to wait, did you have to take did you have to take lessons? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a rite of passage. You have a belt? Are you I like do. a black I belt? A, I am a black belt. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. Black second, belt. Second degree. A black belt. Wait, wait, wait. But you just said you're not physically coordinated. So well, does that mean know. anyone does that mean anyone can get a black belt? Or? <laughs> with enough with the hard work and perseverance. And, and yeah, you're, to, you're totally Asian. You're totally Asian. <laughs> but yeah, he never expected to my my dad had passed fairly young to the point where I have two younger siblings that it wasn't quite well defined how that transition would take on. But I don't think my parents ever had a clear, oh, I want you to take over thoughts. I think it was a lot of it was, this is what I want. And he wanted their kids to succeed and whatever that may be in an unspoken way. Within reason, obviously, because he was yeah. like a starving artist or philosopher. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he was happy that you had a black belt. Like, you know, there's probably certain, certain <laughs> he did have certain expectations. Right, I would have been yeah. shocked if you had said, no, I've never tried to do Taekwondo. <laughs> that would have been something unexpected. So you're the oldest of three. You have two younger siblings. Yes. Do you have brothers or sisters? I have one brother and one sister. So my sister is six years younger than me and my brother's 15 years younger than me. So I joke that we're like, a family of three only children because we were generation, <laughs> like yeah. we were generations apart. Especially yeah, that's my a big gap. I think um, technically I'm a millennial. And so my brother and I bookend that generation. I think he's literally the last year that a millennial falls under. So yeah. Right. And so I guess culturally, I've got some questions about culture and your parents and also all the moving. To me, my kids are Taekwondo kids. We're not Korean, but the fact that your parents were immigrants, well, and you were an immigrant, and so much of their livelihood was around something that's very culturally relevant. How were they in terms of wanting to pass that culture down to you and and having your siblings really adhere to that culture? I don't know. I think I struggle with it at times with my own kids wanting to 
teach them be loved bilingual as well and uh, making sure they're exposed to a lot of foods per se but that was one of the reasons why I signed up my kids for Taekwondo because I take the lazy part out and be like well at least you get to learn some Korean words (laughs) (laughs) but you know I struggle with that too but there's always a balance right because I feel like yeah I could put the discipline to try to encourage them to learn the language and sort of the culture. And then, or should I wait a little later where it'll be a harder journey for them to learn the language, but maybe they'll appreciate it more. So I don't know. I feel like it's just like constant. How do I balance it? It's it's always like a time thing. How do you manage it on top of everything? I know. So, so busy. Mm -hmm. So did your parents have certain expectations of who you would end up dating or marrying? Was that ever a part of their expectation for you? Yeah. Yeah, it was. They wanted me to marry someone who was Korean. Uh And on top of that, they wanted me to marry someone who was Buddhist because my parents are Buddhist. And I told my parents, well, I think that limits the age criteria to probably like 40 plus (laughs) (laughs) because I don't know that many Koreans that are Buddhist. Wait, wait, wait. But I have to ask, what are most Koreans? Are they not Shinto or Buddhist? They're, are they Christian then? They're usually Christian, like, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of, I think it's predominantly Christian now. I don't know that many Korean Buddhists, at least that I'm aware of. Maybe they're in hiding, but yeah, I haven't come across that many. And then my parents are Buddhist, so they were like, oh. And then so I didn't date that much. And so I told my mom, well, if you could always set me up. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. So <laughs> she's like, well. <laughs> well, then I'm just going to go find someone on my own, mom. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I'm guessing you didn't marry a Korean guy. No, I okay. am, I'm married white Midwestern guy. Nice, <laughs> white American guy. Yeah. Very good. And yeah. how did they respond when you brought him home? Not well. It was a challenge. I'm not going to lie that it was their points where it was a challenge periods of wait, didn't talk. And I think it was especially difficult for my mom. But towards the end, especially because as my dad's illness progressed, he came around. I wish it was a little earlier than that, but things are good now. You know, as any family that has two families, my mom doesn't speak English that well, so it's very broken yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Communication. But yeah, it's good now. Yeah. What's it like with your husband's family? Because I married a fellow Asian, right? Even though she's Chinese and I'm Indian. And I do think my parents would have preferred an Indian girl and they just had to get over it. But what I noticed in previous relationships when I dated Americans, so white girls, my sister and I got my parents over non-Indian people really fast. So anytime we'd bring a non-Indian over, they would be accepting And the issue I found was actually with the girl's family. So I'd go to a girl in Mississippi's parents' house and I would have issues. I wouldn't have issues. They were the ones with the issues, right? And Mm. did you ever face any of that on the other side of it? No. So my husband's family's been very supportive early on. So I'm grateful that it wasn't a two-way challenge in that side, but they've they've been very supportive of me from the very beginning. Yeah, Gian's like, whatever, they're lucky to have me. <laughs> they're, they're just lucky he brought anybody home. <laughs> yeah, no, that's usually the case. <laughs> you, yeah, men, we tend to marry up. I'll be straight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's funny. So Gian, I brought home a black guy. So mm-hmm. you can just imagine that, right? Yeah. Chinese girl, right. bring home a black guy. That was also, in the beginning for us, pretty rough. And 
meeting his parents though. They're like, Hey, Oh yeah. (laughs) Great. Like, just like, whatever. It doesn't matter what color you are. It is ironic and funny in that way. (laughs) It it is funny because I remember in college, one of my friends was like, you you can always ease your parents in by just bring home a black eye and right. right. Yeah. Go to the extreme. The ladder. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. They're like, first you get disowned and then bring home the white guy (laughs) to like, you know, make peace. Right. (laughs) We had a guest on the show and at an early age, someone told him, he's a Hispanic guy, but someone was like, marry a white girl. That's, that's like how you trade up in society. (laughs) I've asked my wife and some of her friends about this. And in parts of East Asian cultures, I'll ask you guys both as East Asian girls, bringing home a white guy is like an upgrade, I guess. How are they viewed? I think it depends on, I mean, that's such a specific question. I do think that, <laughs> so I do, th- this is so, I guess this is for the show. I'm like, I can't believe I'm just saying this stuff out loud. I think that on the spectrum of colors for most cultures, not just East Asian, the lighter you are, the better, right? Even in East Asian culture, I'm naturally a little bit darker. Like I look like I'm tan all the time. So I look like I could be Filipino or Thai. And I remember my grandmother always telling me to stay out of the sun because she didn't want me to get any darker. And I remember my mom always using brightening and white. They were never called whitening creams, but it was yeah, like it was brightening. Like fair and lovely like, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Like lightening creams to like brighten your skin. So the more fair you are, the better it is. Mm-hmm. And so I think the same thing goes for dating, right? You bring home a white guy, that's going to help to lighten, literally lighten the DNA of your yeah. of your children or your grandchildren. So that's going to help to, I don't know, make them look more valuable or more acceptable versus mixing in the darker melanin and then, then they look like they're from the other side. Yeah. So because you guys both, your parent, you're not first generation, like you were born in the US, right? Yeah, yeah. both of us yeah. were. Do you think the expectations different for non-first generation versus, or maybe second generation? Well, again, all of us are the parents of mixed kids, right? And so it's so, so funny. all like, of our what? parents are very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> no, once you have the, once you have the kids, it, it all washes Once the grandkids come, it's fine. Yeah. That's true. But it's funny. So well, a lot of our playdate friends, our friends in the area who have kids are little boys. And my wife and I have had to check the joke at the door. Oh, future prom date. Hello. Because (laughs) we have a lot of gay friends as well. So, and maybe it's because we live in such a quote unquote woke era is I don't care. I don't care if she's gay. I don't care if she's straight. I don't care if she brings home a black guy or a white guy. I like to think that, right? Yeah. She's a toddler right now or a four-year-old. But I do wonder if my perceptions will change when I get older, or maybe it'll be Oh, don't bring home a liberal arts major. Bring home a engineer, <laughs> or like, don't or bring I home mean, a podcaster. What if she comes home and she says, "Dad, I think I want to be a guy." I mean, I don't think about it a lot, but I do think my boys can bring home any race. I'm fine with that. But I really do think if they came to me and wanted to change their their gender or their sex, that would make me pause. I don't know how we I would respond to that. We haven't right. normalized right. in our society, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. I'm convinced my kid's not going to be into Star Wars. Like I already know it and it's going to upset me. (laughs) (laughs) That alone. (laughs) That alone is going to be a problem. (laughs) What do you think, Gian? What do you think is the generational expectation? I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think that I'd be open-minded and I'm sure, I think we've had number numerous discussions with that. I think what if our son comes up and says he's gay? Of course, it would give us pause, but I think 
ultimately, if if that's what makes them happy, we want to support that, right? So I think that's that's general. How can we support that? Going through the whole interracial relationship thing, the last thing I want to do to my kid is repeat that for them, the heartbreak and all that stuff. And I would want them to feel like they're comfortable with coming to me with something like that than feeling that they need to walk on eggshells. That makes sense. What's one thing you would tell your kids based on everything you've been through? I don't know. I think I think this is something that we we tell our kids repeatedly that no matter what, we want them to come to us, that they shouldn't feel afraid or scared or for them to come to us, that they should feel there is trust and in their house with anything that they, of course, they have Oak Road, have their friends that they'll come close to, but it shouldn't feel like they shouldn't want to come to us for any reason. That's a safe place. They're lucky to have you as their mom. As long as they're not liberal arts majors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. And as long as they like Star Wars or not or whatever. <laughs> I think it'll be a struggle for us too, just because my husband and I are both engineers by trade. So if they decide to be artists, artists. Or, yeah, yeah, we'll have to rely on our other friends to help us out. <laughs> Great. Well, are you ready for the speed round, Gian? Absolutely. Okay. What's one thing about you no one expects? I guess I went through a grunge period in middle school. A lot of flannel and grunge rock. And <laughs> did you have? Did you dye your hair a certain hair. color too? I had attempted to, but I didn't want to bleach it. So yeah, yeah, hard. Yeah. <laughs> What's one book or movie that has characters you really relate to? So. I don't know if this is because I'm reading too much into it. The one movie that always comes back to my mind is Pedro Amadovar's All About My Mother, I think it's called. Say more. So the premise of the movie, just a quick thing, is this kid, he is a fan of this opera singer. He chases after for, for an autograph and he gets struck by a car and, and he dies. And then his mom goes around the country to try to find his father, who's a transvestite, who doesn't know that he has a son. And as a result, she befriends a lot of different people and eventually meets another woman who is carrying his child as well. But I feel like it's very genuine, talks about transformation, reinventing who you are, and just this freedom of re-identification. It's interesting. And it's a very genuine perspective of human condition, I think. Yeah. All right. Next one. What's your favorite mom dish? So one thing, it's pretty simple, but I always crave, whenever I go to my mom and she asks me, like, what do I want? I usually ask for kalguksu. Kalguksu in translation is knife cut noodles. And it's like in this anchovy broth and has vegetables. You could put seafood in it. It's pretty mild flavor and you could put kimchi in it and add different flavors, but just, it's just Feels like comfort food for me. That sounds so then, yummy. What's your least favorite food? My least favorite food is probably Thanksgiving food. <laughs> what? Thanksgiving food? Oh my goodness. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Wait, like everything? The whole spread? The turkey, the sweet potatoes. Oh yeah, the turkey. Stuffing. You have to add the flavoring to turkey and mashed potatoes are usually not very flavorful. So I like have to add things in there. But yeah, I think that's my least favorite. 
<laughs> so I usually gravitate towards the sweets when I go for Thanksgiving. Right. <laughs> this is the question where I literally start to hate our guests. I don't know why I keep asking it. <laughs> we had a guest say that he, like, he gets hated so pizza. offended. He gets so offended. He's like, what do you mean you don't like this? Like, well, my Caribbean mother-in-law, Gian, makes this great turkey because she puts hot sauce and Ooh, that sounds really a good. whole bunch of other spices. So turkey doesn't have to be. I know what you're talking about. The very traditional American way of doing things. Yeah. You can spice things up, girl. Oh, yeah. I'm going to give you my sister's cranberry chutney. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Just do it with a twist. Yeah. It might have been a early childhood. I remember like my brother when he was six, he was like, oh, I really want a Thanksgiving dinner. And my mom had made a turkey into the whole like traditional thing. And my dad's like, this has no flavor. And then my mom sent me home with five pounds of turkey sandwiches to school. And I'm like, I don't want any more turkeys. <laughs> too much for me. <laughs> You were scarred by Thanksgiving. Oh, it's a good tradition having family together. And yeah, I'm not yeah. Wait, way to save it. Way to save it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm reporting yeah. you to immigration. Nice. This is just unacceptable. <laughs> Who's someone out there that you would want to interview for a podcast? No, I guess just to keep it light. I don't know why. I'd love to interview Bill Murray. Of course, I probably would be terrible at it. Have to sharpen my interview skills, but I feel like he would be an interesting person to get. Know yeah, more about. I think he'd be fun to talk to. Yeah, definitely. So the last question, Jan, are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not feeling it, Jan. <laughs> I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Cue Rocky music. But what does being a model minority even mean to you? For me, at least, would be one that branches across different groups. Not just looking at my own group, whether that be a woman or whether that be an Asian American, but just bridging the divide between the different minority for one that would reach out to other races or other minorities within the LGBT group or veterans, just bridging the divide and showing that we're all people and what better way to lift everybody up to bridge that. Well, Jan, thank you so much for just I don't know, making us laugh a little bit, <laughs> even though I cannot agree with your distaste in food. <laughs> <laughs> Can't agree on everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's the point of the show. I guess I have to learn. No, seriously, Gian, thanks for being on the show and just open it up for a bit. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad to be part of it. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, hi mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. Now here's a preview of our next episode. Addiction patients get treated like crap by psychiatry that gets treated like crap by the medical system. The way people with addiction are being treated is the very embodiment of injustice and oppression. And I said, I'm going to be a doctor and a teacher. I'm going to teach other doctors and health professionals about addiction in a way that helps them see that these are people with an illness that we have to stop oppressing. That's it for now. I've been Raman Segal. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon.